0: listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where wellbeing matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Progressive Masculinity and headteacherchat.com. Enjoy the show. group coaching programs for women leaders and I've created the Women Lead Well Coaching Network that provides a supportive network for female school leaders and at the moment I'm offering free membership to the network so if you would like to join us and join the people who've joined recently it's Vicky at Well.co.uk, and I will sign you up to the network. I also deliver leadership training via the Resilient Leaders Elements Development Programme And I do team coaching for leadership teams, mainly in schools, but I also deliver more broadly more recently. So it's been very exciting to start working in some different industries and learn from them. The show is sponsored by Schools UK, who provide supply cover insurance and have been doing so for the last 24 years. And what I love about them and why I've entered into a sponsorship partnership with them is the fact that they offer as part of their supply cover insurance an amazing well-being package for all staff in the schools where you have the insurance. And the Wellbeing Package includes lots of things. You get face-to-face counselling sessions. There are musculoskeletal services, which includes acupuncture and physiotherapy. They have an employee assistance programme, which is for the whole of your family, not just employees, but the whole of the employee's family as well. And that's open 24-7. So that's fantastic. But the main benefit that I can see in the wellbeing package is access to a doctor. So you get access to a GP. You can just go online in the morning and you'll be able to speak to a GP on that very day, which I think is absolutely brilliant because I know that currently in the NHS, they're experiencing significant struggles in terms of getting appointments. So for me, that is just the best thing and i think as teachers as well and school leaders we are often working during the times when it would suit to go to see a doctor and often unfortunately i think teachers and school leaders don't go to the doctor when they need to because of the constraints of being in school they'll wait till the school holidays which is not good for well-being it's not good for health so schools uk are sponsoring us and if you sign up and you get your supply cover insurance through Schools UK, you can get 10% off using the code Podcast, which would be amazing. I think that's a really great saving. So today on the show, I've got an interview with Stephanie Shaldas. Stephanie is a deputy head teacher in a secondary school in South East London, and she has 20 years experience in education. She is a French and Spanish teacher, but she's also been a head of department, a head of year, and an assistant head in a variety of schools across Essex and East London. And in her current role, she's responsible for all things inclusion and pastoral care, as well as diversity and equality. Now, she is an absolute mine of knowledge. She's just amazing i absolutely loved this conversation we we do think very similarly about education but i think she gives a really great insight into the issues of inclusion what inclusion means and creating a diverse and equitable school and working with staff in a in an equitable way as well so you are really going to enjoy this interview so here she is stephanie shaldas Yeah. Stephanie Sheldas, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. It's Thank amazing you. to have you with us this morning. How are you?
1: I'm very well.
0: Um, should we let the, the listeners know that we've already like had a podcast interview conversation already <laughs> prior to switching the record button on? So we might be a bit confused over whether we've actually said it during the recording or whether it was part of our... Right,
1: but that's fine. We go with the flow.
0: <laughs> so can you... Start us off by introducing yourself and then giving the listener a bit of a flavour of who you are and what you do, your career so far and and how you've ended up where you are doing what you're doing now.
1: Um, Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Shaldas. I am a, a teacher and I always say I'm a teacher first. This is my coming up to my 20th year in education. Um, When I graduated university, I've always loved languages. So my degree is French with linguistics and I decided I was going to be a translator. So went off to do a masters. Um, And it turns out that being a translator is a very, very unique skill. Mm. And not everybody who is a strong linguist has that skill. Um, So I, I didn't become a translator. I became a project manager in a translation company after university. Did that for a couple of years and it, it honestly was one of the most amazing companies I've ever worked in. The people were great, um, went on some amazing company trips, but, and I've, I've made some amazing friends who I'm still friends with to this day. But I just wasn't, I just didn't really care about what I was doing. And I had one weekend of reflection, like what am I gonna do with my life? And I decided to become a teacher. And that was in 1993. And interestingly, as soon as I made that decision, it was like light bulb moment, and i got onto the graduate teacher program so i suppose that's like the school center training because yeah. i knew i didn't want to do a pgce i wanted to be in the classroom for the get-go just like from you know from the off so um i yeah I, I did my my training and i initially worked in a school in the southeast of of england in essex way like quite near the coast but in this tiny little town um which was Great experience. I did that for two years and then became a head of French in another school in Essex, but that was closer to London. Did that for four years. And I at that point was like, oh, I'm very much a curriculum leader. I'm all about the classroom. I'm all about teaching and learning. But one of the things that I always had was the ability to build really strong relationships with young people and with colleagues. And I knew that eventually I would like to get into senior leadership. So I wanted the experience of pastoral leadership too. So after four years as a head of French, I did a sideways move and became a head of house in um, an academy in Hackney in London, where, and I was there for five years in that time, I did a secondment to SLT, I had my son. So life was happening whilst there was career progression. Um, After that, I became an assistant head no, let me let me step back a bit. That was the moment that I truly became passionate about what it means to be an educator. When I first became a teacher, I would have told you, no, 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 pastoral's not for me, that's not for me, that's not for me. But actually, as soon as I became a head of house, I recognised that understanding where kids are coming from and having some impact on who they are as people what is is a big part of what it means to be a successful teacher and the most effective teachers i've come across are the teachers that do not separate their pastoral role from their teaching and learning role they they see them as intertwined um and so then i became an assistant head teacher for behavior at a school in waltham forest in london it was an amazing community school really like quite progressive really about building relationships with young people in the community, um, understanding that education is not just about outcomes, it's about the skills that young people develop that set them up for life. And from that point, I knew that I couldn't ever go back to a school that didn't have those values or go into another school that didn't have those values. So as I said, I was there four years and then moved into a deputy headship in an all through school in Stratford, so I have a little bit of primary teaching experience as well. So I taught a lot of year five and six. And if there are any sed- secondary educators out there listening, I would encourage you to do a stint in a primary school. It, I know that my teaching is has come on leaps and bounds as a result of having to teach um, primary school and primary teaching techniques are absolutely valid and really effective with secondary subjects as well. So, but whilst I was in that school, I was a deputy head as well for um, inclusion and all things pastoral and student support. Um, That was a really interesting experience, trying to have a golden thread from reception up to sixth form and trying to understand how to meet the needs of quite vastly different groups of young people. Um, I learned a lot from there, I, you know, I took away, you know, the impact of oracy is something I think every school needs to invest in. Young people that can, that can communicate will always be able to communicate and it's something that we should be explicitly teaching in schools. I had that experience, I was there three years, I was there during a pandemic, so three months after I started at the school we went into lockdown, that was interesting. <laughs> So did all of that. And now I currently work in a progressive community, um, comprehensive in southeast London with 2,200 students from year seven to year 13. It is huge. Um, And it's a school that really believes in a broad and balanced education and that education is about helping young people understand the world and change it for the better. And when I—that's the—you know—our school, our school motto, and, and I remember reading that and thinking, that's—that's that's what education is to me. And finally, I found somewhere that verbalizes what I believe it is too. Um, yeah, and that—that's me, and, and that's that's where I am now. And I'm—I'm I'm really, I've enjoyed my first year at the school. I've grown a lot already in the first year that I've been at the school, and I—I want to, lots of there's lots of there are lots of educators who are really considering leaving the profession and that makes me it makes me so so sad because I know that I've got skills to do other things I just can't see myself doing anything else I I absolutely love being an educator I love teaching I love my time in the classroom and even as I've gone up and 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 got made you know promotion and got progression I've always stayed in the classroom and I will always you know I don't teach that many classes but it's really important for me to still be in the classroom and to to connect with young people in that way and have that passion for my subject. Um, And not just my passion for my subject, my passion for teaching. I describe myself as a teacher of children, not a teacher of French and Spanish. That, and I really believe I can teach kids anything. I've taught IT, I've taught taught projects, I've taught philosophy for learning. So I, I think once you're a teacher, you can teach kids anything. Um, and that's me
0: i'm not sure i could teach them physics no but,
1: well no i couldn't do that i mean if <laughs> i could
0: if i could i'd be well in demand wouldn't i because <laughs> i can bi- i can build relationships and i could teach physics i mean it'd be yeah. like the, the the dream physics teacher wouldn't it? Really it? <laughs> yeah. uh, what interests me what you say is there's a lot of talk isn't there about inclusion and being mm-hmm. inclusive and i know there are lots of schools where you know the the focus is on keeping children in the school but then they exclude children like even within the school mm-hmm. and i'm just wondering what does inclusion mean to you what does it like what does what does that mean in practice in mm. inclusion
1: it's interesting because i recently did staff induction for our new staff starting in september and asked them what inclusion meant to them and lots of them said it's you know welcoming children into the classroom, making them feel seen, making them feel understood, and I agree with all of that, it's also supporting children with additional needs. But then one student, one of the the members of staff said, well at the school that I'm in at the moment, inclusion is where we put the kids if they're naughty,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and I was like oh! (laughs) And just the use of that word when you actually mean exclusion really frustrates me. What inclusion means to me is everything that we do as an organization, and I'm gonna say organization because I think it's not unique to education. Mm. Successful companies will, will be inclusive too. It's everything that you do in an organization to make your service users, so in the case of a school, the kids and the community, and your members of staff to feel understood and successful. Unfortunately, Because we are dealing with young people, young people get things wrong and there are consequences to getting things wrong. Yeah. I stand by, there are times where there is a need to remove a young person from a classroom and remove a young person from the school for a certain amount of time. But what I will always follow that up with is what next? So the conversations I have very often with with the heads of year after we've made the difficult decision, and it is always a difficult decision to suspend a child. I think some of the narrative out there is just schools suspend people just for looking at you funny and and that's and, and it's very it very, very difficult and, and to have that conversation with families, with the kids, et cetera. But the question I always have for the head of year is what next? So they've served their their punishment because they've done something that, that makes the school unsafe or have really broken our school values. How do we support that young person to do the right thing again? What do we need to understand about that young person to help them feel part of school? Because a lot of the time when young people don't follow the rules of a school, because majority of young people do, it's because mm, they like... don't see themselves as like su- successful in that, in that space. Yeah. We have lots of young people who will see, well, my parents haven't been to university. My parents maybe don't have any kind of further education. I'm not middle-class. I don't you know, don't have all of these extracurricular activities. And what young people will often do is vote with their feet. They will exclude themselves. Mm. And the way that they exclude themselves is by not following the rules, by pushing back on things that are actually quite reasonable but if we as educators can understand that and present young people with opportunities for them to feel feel successful then we are being inclusive so there's to me there's inclusion big i as in everything that we do to support everybody who works in an organization and that comes with building relationships and understanding humans And then there's inclusion, still a big eye, but a slightly smaller one, when we support a child who's got additional needs so that they can access the curriculum and they can be successful. You have to have inclusion, really big eye, in every single school. You have to think about the community that you're serving and what is going to speak to them. You have to think about your staff and helping them understand who they are and understand their why staff have to know really clearly why they have chosen to come and work at your school because it is a choice and i will always say to colleagues if that's not the school for you there's other schools that will fit with the way that you want to be an educator and as much as i couldn't go back to the academy that i worked in i learned a lot from working at that school there are colleagues of mine and friends of mine who still work there who are thriving and extremely successful it did not work for me, and it couldn't have worked for me long-term. So we do have to be intentional as educators and thinking about, is is this place I'm working aligned with, with what I believe? And I just think if you call yourself a teacher and say you want to be a teacher, you cannot be a teacher without understanding what inclusion is and what that looks like in your classroom, in your department, in your school. And that is every educator's responsibility to be able to define what inclusion means for them and how it shows up in their day-to-day life.
0: And that's where the difficulty lies doesn't it because different people have different views like you're saying you've got different views on what inclusion means and that is linked into your your own beliefs and values system Mm -hmm. and what you'll get sometimes is you're as the deputy who's applying the behavior policy or whatever it is and the consequences and you decide in this instance you're going to suspend this pupil and in another instance you might not how do you deal with because then you've got different members of staff who don't necessarily think that that's the right way to do things or because we talk about you know the eef guide to behavior in schools Mm -hmm. talks about that consistency and being really consistent in everything that you do but you've got to you've got to apply common sense sometimes, haven't you? You've you, you've got to be able to do things differently because different in terms of like having different backgrounds, different experiences, different pupils present differently. So when you when you decide to suspend a child, but you might not have suspended another child for something similar. How do you manage that as a as a deputy when staff might say well hang on a minute that's not fair because that kid did that to me and blah blah blah, they didn't get that and this kid mm-hmm. see like, it seems like you've done you've done that and that doesn't seem to be fair how do you deal with those types of issues
1: no, it, it is that's always really challenging mm. but if we think about approaching an incident like that from the equity perspective that almost answers that question. Let's let, if we transplant being an, being an adult who breaks the law. So imagine I, I, I break the law in some way. I'm not gonna make an example because of the No, I would never do that. But yeah. imagine I break the law. I'm someone who's never broken the law before. I've never been arrested, never had, nothing in my history. I am not going to be given the same sentence or the same outcome or verdict as someone who has broken the law, doing that thing six times. What we, and, and, and I think this is where zero tolerance policies have created this idea that there's one response to everything, and that is not the case. The way we as a school, and, I, and I've always personally believed this, and, and, and it's great to work in a school that believes this too, zero tolerance means we will respond. It doesn't mean we will respond in exactly the same way every time. It means we will respond. So when we talk about having a zero tolerance approach to bullying or a zero tolerance approach to racism, it means if we experience or we see bullying, racism, sexism, um, verbal abuse towards staff or students, physical abuse towards staff or students, we are going to respond. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at that incident in isolation but also in relation to the wider school community we're always should be always asking what harm has been done and who has that harm been done to now it is different to have an instance where two young people get into a physical altercation it happens but they're equally at fault they both admit what they've done they're very honest about what they've done and they could both show they both show remorse You cannot say that that, those two young people should be treated in the same way as someone who's lied about what they've done, who has done it several times and will not admit that they've done something even though we've got them on CCTV. (laughs) And so just looking at the facts means we are able and we should be able to sanction according to that individual incident. And then we need to look at, well, actually, does this have a wider impact on the the school community? I often hear, oh, well, no, we need to make an example of the kids. Otherwise, other kids are going to do it. That's not strictly true. Because, like I said, 95 percent of children in my school do the right thing all day, every day. And they see other children not doing the right thing and they don't copy it because they understand they get more benefit from doing the right thing and following actually what we have as very five very simple rules in our school so they so this idea that an exa- a public example needs to be made is actually not necessarily true i think there're conversations we can have with a wider school community if an incident happens to share how we've addressed it and what the impact of that is but we shouldn't be sanctioning a young person to make a point for other young people
0: i mean a good example of that is if the death penalty worked then you wouldn't need the death
1: penalty exactly
0: therefore it's not a deterrent is it to see someone's because no. whenever you do something you know you think you're going to get away with it don't you people yeah. who commit crimes don't expect to be caught do they so they don't necessarily so the children are not necessarily going oh well that kid got that punishment level of punishment i better not do that it,
1: yeah
0: i remember looking at um it was like the 50th anniversary of the school that i worked in there was an old punishment book and it was from like the 1960s and it was when they gave the slipper yeah and you went through the pages and it was like oh that's interesting it was the same it was like the same five kids yeah exactly. getting the slipper all these different times so it's not a deterrent it's no, like, and we're
1: still there it's the people same thing feel here. like
0: you oh, you should you should put it is it's the same it like, detentions don't work for, I think they do for some children. They I'm do not saying for some that some, they, children. some children will go, oh, that, that was the consequence of that. So I better not do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for a, for a small, like you're saying, 95% of children, that will yeah, work. with you get yeah. put in a detention, you don't do that again. You make you sure you do homework yeah, exactly. on time. But for a small percentage, it doesn't work. So it isn't mm. a deterrent in the bigger picture, is it? Yeah.
1: And I think what's important to remember is if we can have sometimes you know people will pull away from oh but we're just focusing on a minority but actually if we can make something right for a minority it actually does have impact on the majority of the kids at school as well and the majority of staff even if they don't necessarily experience that thing it's like one of one of my roles is 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 inclusion but sorry no diversity, equity, inclusion, so equity, so a lot of my school is on an anti-racist journey. And what I am seeing by us doing that work is, we have got members of staff who are from marginalized communities, feeling more visible, feeling more included, But we've also got members of staff who are not from those marginalized communities who are learning, understanding and growing as a result of having exposure to those marginalized communities and rethinking the way that we include, we teach, we educate as a result of that. They may not be experiencing racism on a daily basis or microaggressions on a daily basis, but their understanding that that is someone else's experience is helping them grow as a person. Mm. And as a cisgender black woman, racial you know racialized as black there are things for example i've got lgbtqia colleagues whose experiences who i do not experience what they experience i can i can empathize because i'm from a marginalized group but there are things that i am learning about the lgbtqia community as a result of trying to understand their experience and and this and, and for me it works for young people as well Young people show up as what they've experienced growing up. I'm trying to do some work to understand that means that you can teach them, means they're more likely to be successful, means they believe you when you say you've got this, you can do this, I absolutely know you can do this. And you know, and I'm sure lots of teachers will know, you know, think about that one kid who behaves, who's really engaged in another classroom, but in yours, it's carnage. And I can think straight away of one kid in my class and I see him in a geography lesson and I'm like, sorry. <laughs> and I have to really think about what is it that I'm doing? What's the atmosphere in my classroom? That's meaning that young person doesn't feel like they can be successful. And that's with 20 years of experience. Yeah. I'm still challenged every day by the odd people where I'm like, I, I don't know how to teach you. And I have to really think about that. So inclusion is everybody's job. Teaching you know- and is everybody's job.
0: What I think you what I think you've drawn out of that there though, is that what some teachers do is they will put the blame on that child mm-hmm. for their behaviors and yeah. say that child is not behaving in my lesson, therefore, as a deputy or as my head of department or as the head of year or whatever, you need to do something about that. Yeah, but I think what you recognize there is that as the teacher, you are the person responsible for creating the conditions in which children can learn effectively. Yep. And I, I know there'll be a lot of people going, "No, no, no, you're not right." <laughs> Won't they? Like, that'll have got people's hackles up. Hackles up. Um, but it's a two-way thing. It's it it is. Is a two-way thing. Like if you think about a relationship, it's how it is because of what you both bring to the relationship. Of course. And in a classroom, like there's that you bring whatever you bring and they bring whatever they bring and I think there's a lot of it's it's you've got to be very self-actualized haven't you to be able to say hmm, hang on a minute am I doing something yeah. here that's causing this person to not be able to engage and I don't think it's the case always I think there are there are young people who struggle across the board aren't yeah. they and it's not necessarily you as the teacher but if that if that child is engaging in another lesson or other lessons and does Okay with other teachers, you do have to look at yourself, don't you? Say "Mm, I'm not, I'm not doing something, and have the conversation Mm. with the child in which you say, right, what's happening in this lesson for you? What is it that's making you behave like that or feel that way about me? What, what am I doing? Mm. But that's hard for a child as well, then, isn't it, to tell the teacher, like in a conversation with that? It's not speaking truth to power. Not easy, is it?
1: But then that's that's where the relationship is exceptionally important it's so 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 important and you know i i often talk to colleagues about power and i often hear from teachers oh no no i can't possibly do that you know they'll 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 take you know they'll 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 abuse it i'm losing my power you're the adult you can't lose the power because you can remove that child from the classroom you can call their parent you can call a meeting you can put them in detention you don't lose any power it's not possible but it is scary and i think about the times even in my senior leadership roles where i've had colleagues who are heads of department come up to me and say steph you were kind of out of order in that interaction and i'm like <laughs> damn it and no one wants to hear that but we have to be able to and we have to we have to hear i've had i've had to sit with kids and they and and, and listen to them say to me but miss, when you do this or when you did that, this is how it landed. And my intention is to never belittle a child. That's never my intention. My intention is never to make a child feel like they can't be successful. But I can still do that because I'm a human being. But
0: you've hit you like the credit there is to you, isn't it? That you've got members of staff who will say to you, uh Steph, you, you've got that, yeah, like, beaters, that. I think when... Often when people talk about relationships between teachers and children and the climate you create in your classroom and building relationships, it's exactly the same with adults. It's exactly yeah. the same as a school leader with staff. You apply the same sorts of strategies to build relationships with young people and children as you do with staff because at the end of the day, they are all human beings. Yeah. like The human condition is the same for everyone. Everyone experiences it differently, but we're ultimately we all want to feel safe, we want to feel valued, we've got the same needs, you look at the Maslow's hierarchy, exactly, Every, everybody's, you know, somewhere in that hierarchy, but and I think what a lot of leaders do, my experience of coaching a lot of senior leaders and head teachers is that they say, yeah, but I've got an open door policy, people can come and tell me anything, I'm saying, right, but do they? Yes. Is it that easy? Because from yeah. your perspective, it's like, come and come and tell me whatever you want to tell me and it's open and we can be honest but that like you're saying speaking truth to power people's experience of when you're young you've got your parents then you go to school you've got teachers then you start work you've got your boss yeah (laughs) and they're all people who have had that level of control over you in your life you it's not then easy just to go to someone is it and say Uh, actually Steph I think you got that wrong Mm -hmm. that's scary like with my previous head teacher we did not necessarily get on particularly well but I was partially responsible for that I did not go to him and say these are my issues yeah let's talk them through like Mm -hmm. this is what's happening for me in this relationship so how have you got that because I think that's that's the thing that a lot of I think a lot of leaders in schools middle leaders senior leaders head teachers need to be able to do like you've got to build a relationship to that point not only with the children but with some children are much braver than staff because staff are much further along the line aren't they yeah. of the, that power relationship how do you build that relationship where staff do actually come to you and say listen I need to be honest with you, this this is what happened. Because I don't think it happens that much. I think there's an open door policy, but I don't actually think staff believe it necessarily. Before we find out more about how Stephanie has created that true open door policy, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Headteacher Chat is to support headteachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Headteacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Headteacher Chat, it's what headteachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. You know, I think
1: partly it's it's to do with the fact that I'm, I'm not afraid to say I don't know, or I've got it wrong, or I'm sorry. And then the other thing is I don't lead with my role. So, for example, in my classroom, so I have this lovely, I've had this awesome year eight class who have driven me, I like, love them to bits, but also have driven me absolutely insane, <laughs> this entire academic, but they're so great. I really love to teach them. And so I joined the school. I'm teaching them, blah, blah, blah. And then about three or four weeks in, one of the kids says to me, Miss, I didn't realise you were the deputy head teacher." And I said, no, well, but why would you? And he was like, huh. I said, because to them, I'm their Spanish teacher. I'm their French teacher, nothing else. And then whenever I see kids around school who are not doing the right thing, or I'm just wandering around or I'm on duty and I'm in I'm not going up to the kids saying, or to the members of, of staff saying, I'm the deputy head teacher, you have to do what I say. My thing with kids is, particularly with the kids in it, and I think it works with them, we have a standard of the way that we interact with adults in the school. And I'm, I don't say teachers, I say adults, because I don't think young people should speak rudely to the middays, to our teaching assistants, to the librarian. There's, there's, a, there's a blanket level of politeness that we are going to have. Doesn't mean you can't disagree with us, but you're gonna do so politely. You have, we as adults in the school need a certain level of respect and politeness to be able to execute our job well. And it isn't because I am a deputy head teacher that you should speak to me in a particular way or follow my instruction. If a member of staff says, please don't do that because it's dangerous, you need to follow that instruction. It doesn't matter that I'm the one that said it or the cleaner has said it or, you know, one of the middays have said it. And I think that really helps me gain credibility with colleagues because I'm not I'm not using my role to flex muscle. I'm I'm saying, actually, this is the standard that we have for everybody. And, and there are times where I've got it wrong and I've said to members of staff, do you know what, I'm sorry, I've got that wrong. Let's go back to the drawing board and let's try again. Um, and when I ask people what they think, I'm truly asking because I want to hear it. I've many a times when I've been, you know, as a, as a middle leader and also as an assistant head, I've been asked my opinion, but more for face value, but not not because you really want to collaborate on something.
0: And then there's no point, is there? Exactly.
1: Like, so is I there a point to asking the
0: question? Yeah, right. if it's not, it
1: don't ask it. it. Oh, and if I want an opinion, I'm going to take it and I'm going to consider it. And if I don't, I won't. So this is what we're doing. I really need everyone to be on board for this, for this reason, and all and all these other reasons let's give it a go and if it doesn't work we can review it etc and then there's i really want us to collaborate and come up with a way to address this particular issue and then we will collaborate so i think i think it, it all comes down to to authenticity and and i think as i've grown as a person grown as a leader i am definitely i have become more authentic in the way that i present at work and the way that I lead and who I am. Um, You know, as as much as I'm British and I've grown up here, I I am very African and that shows up at work. In sometimes I will slip into an African accent when I'm talking to the kids, when I'm talking to staff. I dress in traditional clothes at work. I talk about my family, I use them as, you know, examples. I talk about my husband, I talk about my child And very often, you know, we're we're told as educators, you you shouldn't share who you are. But that's actually just, that's just not real. And the kids and other colleagues really respect the fact that they see you as a, a 360 person because they are 360 people. You know, kids will come to school, you know, wanting to talk about you know, their new dog, something they've done with a cousin, a, a member, a co- member of their family who's passed away. They are carrying all of the things that we carry as adults, but what they don't have is our supposed maturity to be able to deal with those things in the best way. So you know that kid that turns up in the morning and they have a proper face on as they're walking into your lesson. Acknowledge that they have a face on.
0: It's no, it's no different with staff though. That no, a...
1: exactly. Oh, <laughs> are you all right? You don't get look, some members you know. of staff
0: who come in school looking
1: yeah, really down
0: happening. or sad, and it's the same. Ask them, can I? What can do I do anything today? Are you? Are you... Yeah. And then don't ask it if you don't mean it. That's another exactly. thing, isn't oh, no, it? Like don't ask a member of staff if you if you're okay. And I, I used to find not just saying, Are you okay? saying oh, you look a bit you look a bit down.
1: Yeah, exactly. Is there
0: anything I can do to help you? Rather than like you ask someone if they're okay, they'll go, mm, Yeah, I'm fine.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then it's not yeah.
0: a way into a conversation, yeah. is it? Like I tend to say, like, notice things. Exactly. Name what you notice this. Yeah, pretty quiet this morning Mm -hmm. is there anything i can do to help you people will open up better to you one of the things i wanted to ask you there was you're saying so many great things that like (laughs) my brain's going you need to ask that you need to ask that you need to ask this i've got loads of notes here that i've made (laughs) so when i do coaching for mpqh and mpqsl we talk a lot about making decisions and lots lots of my coaches will say I know that I have to make a decision, but I'm I'm not very good at, I don't think I'm very good at making decisions and I'm not sure when, when should I be asking people? When should I, when do I need to make that, just make that decision like for myself? So how do you know the difference between, because you, you mentioned that sort of sometimes you'll just make the decision and it's like, uh, right, no in this instance I know that this is what needs to be done so I'm making that decision in this instance I need to listen to what other people have got to say before I make a you know a carefully Mm -hmm. considered decision that's in the best interest of everybody or whatever it might be how do you know when to collaborate and when not to
1: I would say they often go in tandem I'm often doing both at the same time because i think as 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 a school leader colleagues are looking to you to make decisions and there are instances where you just need to do that but they still need to be heard and so particularly when because particularly cuz my 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 area of expertise is pastoral very often you know something's gone wrong in a classroom or there's been an incident the adults want to feel heard but they want to feel supported and they want to know that something's going to happen. So you can kind of do the first yeah. two. You've heard them out and you've, and, and very often colleagues will say to me, Oh, they should be excluded for that. And I'll say, well, actually, we, they can't be for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And then members of staff will say, Oh, okay, no, I get that. They may not be happy about it, but they understand it. Sometimes I think that's what's missing. It's yeah. just that explanation of, well, statutory guidance or, you know, the, our behavior policy says this, so we can't go to, we can't jump to that sanction.
0: You know, in that instance as well, do you think it's really important to acknowledge the member of staff's feeling? Absolutely. Like when you say, I recognize that this is probably going to make you feel quite frustrated yeah. or annoyed. This yeah. was the decision that I made, and these are the reasons why. Yeah. And I'm sorry if that leaves you feeling. X. Yeah. just in this instance, this is what needed to happen.
1: And I think sometimes, sometimes I can be a little bit brutal in those situations. So I have a, I when it comes to staff writing statements, I, 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 I go with a, the statement doesn't care about how you feel. The statement cares about the facts. I'll come and talk to you about how you feel. So if there's been a big incident, I will always go and check in on that member of staff, or, you know, or our assistant head for behavior will, or one of the heads of year. And that that I'm really proud of the staff at our school because that does happen. Mm-hmm. And when it hasn't, we will always acknowledge actually that didn't happen and that was wrong. So I will I will always check in with members of staff and say, are you okay?
0: Mm-hmm. I know
1: that's happened. We are, we're on it. When you when you're ready, can I please have your statement? But I'm really clear that statements have to be factual. You'll, you'll have a space to place how you feel. But for me to use that to make a decision, I just need the facts. Um, and I think you can have that if you're if you're then supporting members of staff through how they feel because they feel it. I feel it. You know, as, as I've I've dealt with some really challenging kids and I've had some heinous things said to me by children, and I've needed a space to just go and feel how I feel. Um and, you know, as, as as educators, we are often held to this standard that means we're not allowed feelings. But mm-hmm. when a kid has sworn at you several times and called you like abhorrent names, you're going to feel something. Mm-hmm. So we have to create space for staff to go, I'm just, I just need a minute. <laughs> and, you know, I've done that before, like, you know, my current school, I've gone into the head teacher and, and, and she's like, how are you? And I was like, I just need to have a run. <laughs> And once I've ranted, I'm going to be fine And I'll be able to go out there and face it And she's like, rant away But, you know, 20 years in I still need to be able yeah. to do that
0: And I think people need it, I think just asking the question If there has been an incident and something's happened Sometimes it feels Like, to a senior leader It feels minor, but to the member of staff yeah, It exactly. can feel really exactly and, and serious And I think just saying what support do you need from me? Mm. It can be a really powerful question because generally people will say, oh, no, I don't need anything. I'm fine. It's it, it's okay. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I would say, don't feel frightened of saying what support do you need because generally people will say, I don't yeah. need anything. I'm fine. I'm just glad you came and asked and whatever. And a very few people might say, well, I need this or I need that and mm-hmm. whatever it is. But by virtue of asking, that person cannot ever come back to you and say, you didn't support me. Yeah. Like this happened, you know, a child threw a pen at me. And that was really, really like really offended me. And I was very, very upset. And you didn't help me, you didn't support me. If you ask the question, what support do you need from me? What 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 can I do to help you? Yeah. Like ask the question, most people will say nothing, but Mm. they'll be grateful that you asked.
1: But it just it's that recognition that something has happened. And it, and it, like I said, 20 years on, it still bugs me when kids are really rude to me. Because, and the reason it bothers me is that's not the way I, I approach young people. Yeah. You know, if I need them to do something, I will always ask politely twice. And yeah, if you ignore me, my tone's gonna change. And I, you know, I love the fact that about, like teenagers, they'll look at you as if you're insane when you change your tone, but I asked you nicely twice. And it's frustrating, But but I think you're right. As a senior leader, I'm not in the classroom as much so I'm not exposed to it as much I'm also often dealing with like really big things so it's important that I remember that what one swear word in a classroom may feel really big to the average classroom teacher but actually not that big a deal to me because I'm dealing with a kid who's maybe brought a knife into school and we're trying to work that out but it is it still has impact and and I think the way that we approach it, certainly in the last three schools that I've worked in, including my current school, is the harder way of engaging children, it is. It's also the way I parent. I, you know, I had a, an old school mother who is, you know, love her, but a little <laughs> bit dictatorial. Um, and that's and that's not really the way I parent. I'm quite liberal in the way that I parent, as as is my husband, and it's hard because if you know my son does something wrong you know old school you get smacked doesn't really fix anything but it's harder to sit down and talk to him and ask why what were you thinking when you did that do you understand that that's dangerous or the harm that that could cause or the harm it causes you not necessarily just other people and it is it's a much more challenging way to parent and approach education but I believe in it and I believe it, it nurtures young people into adults who recognize that they have a voice, know how to use their voice, recognize why something is wrong. Because very often the kids don't necessarily get why we have particular rules. So when I, like we talk about punctuality and I will often say to kids, when we are on you about your punctuality, this is a life skill. Whether you work for someone or whether you have your own business or you're entrepreneurial, you have to meet deadlines. You will lose clients if you are constantly late. So getting to good habits and being punctual now is a life skill. But also on top of that, and, and, and you know, primarily, it just starts your day off in the worst way. Because what's the first thing? You're late. Why are you late? Your first conversation when you come into school is negative so even that we're trying to change because some of our young people come to school with lots of challenges and they can't always help the fact that they're late as annoying as it is when they're late so what we're trying to move to is it's really lovely to see you we're glad you're here we'll talk about why you're late later let's get to class and that in itself means that young person comes into school they already feel a bit rubbish because they're late for school because they know they're late Their first conversation isn't negative. They know the conversation about lateness is gonna happen, but it doesn't have to be the first thing that we talk about. Actually, let's get you into a classroom and get you learning, that's what you're here for. And I think just those little tweaks in the way that we interact, yes, it's harder to do, but I think it has longer dividends. And and, and it creates an environment where children don't constantly feel persecuted. Because it just, can feel like that as a you let
0: you're letting them get away with things.
1: That's no, we're letting them not. get
0: away with it.
1: <laughs> we're not because the conversation happens later. I'm being facetious. <laughs> I know, though. but totally.
0: that's what people say. But that's where that's where that piece of work in terms of this is the way we operate in this school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you don't agree with that. There will be other schools that you can go to where yeah. they really reinforce punctuality yeah. or they have much more of a zero tolerance approach. You yeah. know, you have zero tolerance. But it's a different type yeah, of zero exactly. tolerance in yeah. other places that. However, even though you say that some people, they don't have the bravery, do they, to go yeah. apply for a job in another school? And you do end up with, with the people in your school. You do. How have have you worked with any people like that and I have. To <laughs> can you tell us about that then? Can you, can you give us an example because I think it's something that a lot of her teachers and senior leaders, middle leaders struggle with.
1: Do you know I, <laughs> I think back to the school I worked in in Waltham Forest and and there were a couple of members of staff who just who who weren't on board with taking responsibility for behavior in their classroom. It was always, oh, but you need to come in and take them out and you need to come and fix it and you need to. And that in itself, what they weren't seeing is how disempowering it was for them. Mm. It's all well and good me turning up. The kid behaves for me, but I don't have to teach them. So that's actually ineffective. It's like, it's ineffective. and I think I think of one person in particular, I, and they were slowly coming on board, they're no longer at the school now. But what I think helped them understand that was, if that child restores with me, it doesn't change their behavior in your classroom. They're not understanding what the expectations are in your classroom. And you are responsible for that. It's you know, it's your domain, it's, it's the kid's domain. You have to be able to create the standard and see it through. But what you're doing is creating a standard that's then enacted by me or by a head of year. And I suppose what works, or sometimes, or what, it doesn't always work, and it works for this member of staff, It's really that understanding where they come from and meeting them where they are. Because there are, you know, there are members of staff who have been in the, you know, they've been in the profession a long time and they've seen it change a lot. And it's difficult because every time we get a new government someone brings in something different and then they call it something else. And we're like, no, we were doing that 15 years ago. It's not new. So, and how young people have have changed can also be quite daunting if you're not necessarily evolving along with them. But I I suppose my my one thing that I will always do when I'm I when I'm faced with a member of staff who is a bit challenging, I always start with listening. And sometimes when I'm listening, in my like the back of my head, I'm thinking, yeah, that's nonsense. <laughs> Use it. Just shush. That's what. And then, but then in that there'll be things that you'll just pick up on and you're like, oh, now I understand why it is you are maybe protective of something in a particular way or you're resistant to something. And I think that that, as leaders, we need to take the time to listen. And I think sometimes we can want to fill the space with our own voice. And I'm a chatty, I like I can talk for days. <laughs> absolutely I love I love a chat but I I do get just sitting and watching and listening is is probably the most powerful thing that I can do in a day and 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 then being able to play back what you've heard so when I've said to colleagues oh, so what I hear you saying is this 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 and this or what I hear you saying is, you find their behavior challenging because they never have equipment or because they're not ready to learn, how do you think you can help them be ready to learn? And so then the colleague might say, well, I could just provide them a pen and pencil. And I'm like, yeah, you could. Like, is it really that deep? (laughs) Like, and I get so wound up by kids not having pens, but I've also saved myself a lot of time in lessons by not arguing about it. Here's the pen, we'll have the conversation later you
0: know it really irritates me it really irritates me in school to do that zero tolerance and you get put in detention if you don't have a pen or a pencil but it's so discriminatory yeah because if you've got adhd and you've forgotten where you put your like you just leave your pencil or your pen in the last class which i how many who can say they've all got all the pens that they've ever owned like I'm forever go, losing, <laughs> losing pens. Pens go missing. Don't I? I'm like, losing, I lose everything. <laughs> I don't know where. Like I couldn't, is. It's, like, it's like, I couldn't thing. take things off staff on a corridor. Yeah. Like a member of staff would go, "Oh, here's that thing you need." I'd be like, "You're gonna have to give it to me in my office or whatever." Because yeah. I,
1: I, I will put it down somewhere. Like, how
0: can you? How can you apply? A, it's just like just give the kid a pen. Yeah, it's not. It's just simple. And but like, if the kid ago, turns up without their tie.
1: Yeah, when am I ten years what, ago? Like... I would have been the same way, and, right. it, and and that's but that's the thing as an educator. I'm, I'm I want I I'm allowing myself to evolve. You know, earlier on in my career, I would have been a no zero tolerance. It's this, and there's no leeway, and I couldn't be more further from that as a person, as a teacher, as a parent. So it, we have to allow ourselves to evolve and to to take things differently so now if a kid doesn't have a pen I'm like here's the pen getting on my nerves you better produce some amazing work this lesson
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's about creating the conditions in which people can flourish isn't it not creating conditions where people feel resentment or embarrassment or shame or guilt or whatever it might be but it comes back i think to you mentioned oracy much earlier and then you sort of you touched on it when you talked about the conversations that you have and you Mm -hmm. by having a conversation about that afterwards and saying right okay i lent you a pen and that's or or if you're always lending a pen to the same kid you keep forgetting their pen then you have the conversation that says right okay what strategy could you use to help you not keep losing your pens let's have a conversation about it and it's a coaching approach isn't it everything we talked about in this in our conversation has been how do you like that coaching leadership style or that coaching teaching style where you make someone aware of something that they're doing And then you talk about what the reasons for it might be Mm -hmm. and then how you can do something to change your behaviours. Because it's about habits as well, isn't it? And and teaching people about habits. But it is also about that oracy, isn't it? It's about encouraging young people to express themselves. I think like when you've been talking as well, it's been like communication Mm -hmm. is really like the absolute key to everything that happens in school. Like building relationships and communicating that you go back to a member of staff and you say when the kid threw the pen at you just so you know this is what happened yeah do you need anything else do you need any more support from me right so you've had that conversation that person goes all right now I know what happened fair enough if they're not happy with it they can have that conversation with you then and you can talk about it but it's like oracy is about being able to understand how to express yourself isn't it and it's not like of course it's important in a lesson but it's about it's about thinking isn't it oracy is about like the more you that's why coaching works for me because mm-hmm. it's a space in which when you verbalize your thoughts it's very different from thinking it isn't it yeah and teaching children how to do that is really important what have you done in your school to let's have this as the last question now because we, mm-hmm. we've been talking for nearly an hour um, and <laughs> how do you how have you developed oracy in your school has it been a focus for
1: it you? hasn't not in my current school but right. um i think it, it it is something that like our head of english is 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 really interested in it was at my last school um oracy was the anchor for pretty much everything we used oracy techniques in meetings we used it to deliver curriculum what it what oracy gives young people is a framework to talk hmm. But very often young people have lots to say, they just haven't figured out how, how to shape their thoughts and then deliver them. So what Oracy gives young people is the ability to reflect. So very often you would start by, you know, this is the bigger question or this is the issue. Think about it on your own first. You have to know what you think before you start taking in what other people think. And then you're not talking about, oh, okay, I'm going to now share it with somebody next to me. And you're going to use particular protocols to challenge each other. Like, oh, I understand your point. I would like to counteract or I would like to challenge it by saying this, or I agree with you or I disagree. So you're getting young people to disagree respectfully, because we're not all going to have the same views. And then what that builds into is young people being able to stand up in front of a class and share their thoughts. But so because we, we often ask young people questions without giving them the space to think about if they can ask the answer the question and if they need support from somebody else to get them to the point where they can ask the question. So like I'm a little bit on the fence about cold calling because I don't think it's particularly effective for young people who don't who aren't necessarily confident speakers and cold calling without giving young people thinking time the ability to share with the person next to them so I will do it that way think share with somebody else get your thoughts and now I'm going to cold call
0: think pair share (laughs) exactly
1: but to go from oh we do no hands up and I'm just for a kid with an additional need or a kid who has experienced trauma that can be really, really, really unsettling. Or
0: just anyone who doesn't know the answer. I did not exactly. put my hand up to answer a question when I was at school because I didn't know the answer. If I knew the answer, I probably would put my hand up and offer. Yeah. So, yeah, cold. I I can, I can see the the benefits of cold calling, but like you're saying, it needs to be part of a think, pair, share, it talk to your scattered. partner. Think about yeah. it, talk to your partner. Right? Okay. Now, I'm going to ask such a body because then they probably have something to say. But just actually putting someone, I would have hated that at school in a math lesson to just be put on the spot and ask the question. And then, not it's embarrassing, isn't it? It singles someone out for, I think it can make you feel quite ashamed if you don't know the answer. It's not the
1: purpose of the classroom. Like the classroom is supposed to be a place where you can make mistakes and you're learning from those mistakes. Um, But what, yeah, I, I really, you know, oracy is something that will go, will serve young people beyond the classroom as well. And when I think about my peers who maybe went to public school, they are encouraged to talk and to challenge all the time. And we still have too many state schools where that's not the case. And how are young people who are just as intelligent in comprehensive schools, going to ever break some of that that class divide if they're not given the tools to communicate and challenge like their peers are in public schools.
0: And that's exactly the reason why I don't agree with sets.
1: No, I don't, yeah, either, absolutely.
0: Because there's not that same intellectual challenge mm-hmm. in if you have a bottom set, then those young people I'm not saying in like that intellectually inferior necessarily. There are lots of reasons why people end up in a bottom set as well. And often it's to do with extenuating circumstances, experiences, et cetera. But if they're not allowed to be part of that intellectual conversation that's taking place in what you would call a set one, that's total and utter discrimination, yeah. in my opinion. Not everybody agrees with that either. No, but,
1: but they're also <laughs> not, they're not being able, they're not, they're being capped in terms of what they can access. Yeah. I absolutely believe but it's in It puts a ceiling
0: on their, on their learning, does. doesn't it?
1: And we certainly shouldn't have sets at Key Stage 3. Like, I can understand at Key Stage 4, where there may be tiered papers, you could understand it a little bit, but even then, you can teach the majority of the course in Year 10 mixed ability and then set in year 11 if you really have to do it. There's a lot there's a lot of research that shows that mixed ability teaching allows young people to flourish and actually to access you know higher levels of learning.
0: Maths te- so a lot of math teachers will tell you it's not possible in maths and I say well it's funny that because it's possible in primary school maths exactly they teach mixed ability classes for seven years Yep. and then you say all of a sudden when they're going to year seven that's not possible anymore. Mm. How can that? It just that that doesn't make any sense. So the, yep. there's a lot of arguments. There are a lot of arguments for setting, but they only work for the most able pupils. Yeah. Like even if people say, you know, you don't want to be in a class with some people. You don't. I I don't want to be like putting myself out in front of this group of people who I'm a bit intimidated by or whatever. That's all. That's still discriminatory because it's still all about mm-hmm. the more able exactly. pupils, or and focusing on them and what they need rather than focusing on what the pupils need there we've been talking for ages and I've i know
1: just,
0: <laughs> i've enjoyed it so thank much. you i have
1: too we've
0: sort of gone around all over the place but i think what we essentially what we've talked about is relationships yeah and working with people regardless mm-hmm. of regardless of their age or background yeah. but it, Getting the best out of people, isn't it? And yeah. how you do that. And um, if people want to find out a little bit more about you and what you do, or if they've heard you, like I would be telling everybody, get mm-hmm. Steph and speak at your I don't know ECT conference or <laughs> ownership training session or whatever it is, because I think you're really, really engaging. Oh, so if people you. want to get in touch with you for any reason whatsoever, how can they find you?
1: So you can find me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. X. I can never remember my Twitter handle. I think it's, it's just my called, name.
0: It's not called Twitter anymore. Don't forget. It's oh called God, it's X. It. Oh. Don't you just hate that.
1: It's mostly because I'm. I'm. I'm just. I like.
0: And what well, do you do? Just
1: leave it alone. <laughs> but if it's not Twitter,
0: what do you do? You're not tweeting then, are you? No, you're not Is tweeting.
1: It? So on. Yes, you can find me on X. <laughs> um. It's just my name. You could search me. I also have um an Instagram page which I need to get better at. Putting stuff on called Mrs. Shaldas speaks, um, and you can find me on there. Um, yeah, those are probably the the two to the two best places to find me. I'm trying to get a bit better at putting content on my Twitter page, um, on my um Instagram page. Yeah, I but you're a deputy, a very busy find. deputy
0: head. <laughs> yes. When have you got time to do all this social? <laughs> social media stuff it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you Um, there is so much there for people to take away so thank you so much
1: thank you
0: have a great day you too i enjoyed that conversation with stephanie so so much it it, i think it is one of my favorite and i shouldn't have favorites but i think it might be one of my favorite conversations that i've had when I've been making the podcast, she is just so passionate and compassionate. And that just comes across in everything that she says. I would have loved to work with, with Steph. She just seems like so such a capable deputy headteacher and I am absolutely 100% certain she is going to make a fantastic headteacher in the pretty near future. And when she is, I will get her back on the show because I really, really want to speak to her again. I'm sure that there, there are so many takeaways for you there, um, including, you know, the five rules for behaviour, the idea of sort of, how to make staff feel seen and visible and included and remembering that one of the things that she said is about i think it was about children but you can apply it to staff and it's a really important thing to recognize and that is that people show up as what they've experienced growing up or in their life and as a as a school leader as any sort of leader It's so important to remember that. And every single person that you deal with in your leadership has had a different experience of life. And unless you get to know those people and get to understand them, what their experience is, you will never get the best out of them, I don't think. So really great takeaways there. If you would like to have a chat with me about what coaching could bring to your school or bring to your role you just need to email vicky at wheeliedwell.co.uk or you can have a look on the website and look at the different things that I do and get in touch with me via that. It's wheeliedwell.co.uk. That is all we've got time for today. I hope you're enjoying the summer holidays. It's been a, a really nice week this week, actually. and It's just gone bit cloudy today but hopefully this weekend is going to pick up anyway you're not in work so whatever you're doing for the summer holidays for the rest of the summer holidays enjoy it i know you've just had a level results some of you are back in doing that and we've got gcse results next week but give yourself some time around those few days that you've got in school to still just have that relaxation and enjoy the summer break and i will speak to you next time take care of yourself take care of your staff and lead well This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Progressive Masculinity and headteacherchat.com.